0: Heaven. I don't know about you, but I have, over the last month, thought much of heaven. <laughs> In Light of the way we have to live on this earth, heaven is a great thought. It, it, it conjures up all kinds of thoughts and even more speculations, really, about the future when we think of heaven. What will in fact, heaven be like, what can we anticipate in heaven? For some, the question really is, does there even exist a heaven? Does heaven even exist at all? But for the Christian, we we know of heaven and we know from our studies that in heaven all things will exist. In fact, be new in the history of God's redemptive plan as God has unfolded for us the plan of saving his people. The Bible tells us that he will uncreate this current heaven and earth and he will create a completely new heaven and earth. And all things will be different. All things will, in fact, be new. But even with that knowledge as we think about heaven we we still think about the details of heaven to come we 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 are like children waiting for the arrival of Christmas morning and we are anticipating with wonder and with excitement our own arrival in this new place we have been learning about it in our study of revelation and we know that it will have a new city bible clearly has told us that it will be a new jerusalem it says in the book of revelation a new city of god a city made as we read about in hebrews as anticipated by the patriarch abraham a city made by god come down out of heaven from God to a new earth. And so in these final scenes of history in the book of Revelation, John is given a look at this city. John gets a glimpse of our eternal home. And he writes about what he sees. And he uses words that only come close to the reality. How can we, in any kind of human language, really express the wonder and the glory and the majesty of heaven? None of us could fully describe that reality of what is to come. John works with words and he works with descriptions that are familiar to us in order to show us what will be. I was thinking about this as I was studying this. It's comforting to know that our God, being the creator of, of all things, in order for us to know and to understand and to comprehend Him as God, it's, it's comforting to know that, that He desires that we know Him in such a way so, so He accommodates us. He, he accommodates us with language that we can understand so it doesn't just flat out blow our mind. He uses human terms. And so here we find ourselves this morning in Revelation chapter 21. We're, we're reaching the end. And this is the description of our final home. It is it's absolutely amazing. And it begins for us in chapter 21 and verse 9. And it carries us all the way to chapter 22 and verse 5. And I, and I want to read that entire section for us this morning, even though we'll only cover a, a portion of it in our time together. But I want, to, I want to read the entire description for us so that we have it in our minds. Beginning in verse 9, John says in chapter 21, "In one of the seven angels, who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues, He came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written on them which are of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the land. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width, and he measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of these gates was a single pearl. And the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temples. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it, and in the daytime for their shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall no longer be any night. And they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. This is the description of our future glorious home. And it is almost self-explanatory as you read through the text, it, It's it's almost as if you can't even really go into some kind of explanation as it is written. And John is describing it from from three vantage points or three viewpoints. And I want to look at these three viewpoints over the next few weeks. One is the external view of the city. One is the internal view of the city. And then last is the eternal view of the city. So you have the external view, the internal view, and then the eternal view. And for our time this morning, I want us to spend our time on the external view. Just try to get our minds wrapped around what God is giving us here is by way of picture for us to see our future home in order to enhance our anticipation of our arrival there right? Colossians chapter 3 says, anticipate the coming of Christ. Anticipate the glory to be brought at the coming of Jesus Christ. We are to seek the things above. We are to fix our eyes on the things above. We are to set our mind to these things. And so God gives us this description, this incredible description. It's beyond words, really. We can't even explain it. And here it starts with this external view. Now, remember that the great truths concerning our eternal state, concerning the time after the tribulation, when we enter into the eternal state, they have already been presented to us here in chapter 21 in the first eight verses, right? There will be a new heaven. We saw that in verse 1, and I saw a new heaven coming down, and then in verse 1, and a new earth. So part of the eternal state there is this new heaven there is a new earth and then in verse two there is this new capital city and it's within this new capital city in which god and his saints will dwell forever and ever so already our new home is completely different than anything we have here We don't have this place on this earth, and our new home on the new earth is really amazing to even contemplate. I was thinking about this, that God would save any of us on this earth is amazing in and of itself. I mean, it's absolutely mind-blowing that the creator of the universe, the one that formed you out of nothing, would actually condescend to you and want to have a relationship with you after you rejected him. So that in and of itself is simply amazing that God would desire to save. And had God chosen to save us, and had God planned for us to live on this earth forever without sin, as we have it, that there would be no sin even on this earth itself, that too would be a blessing beyond anything you and I could ever imagine. But God has chosen something different not just to save us god has chosen to give us a new heaven a new earth and god has chosen to dwell with us in person whereby we will see his face and now here in revelation 21 john is allowed to see our new home and it is described in verse 9 you notice as the bride the wife of the lamb. You see that right at the end of verse 9, uh, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. So this is good takes us back in our mind at least to the end of the tribulation and one of those seven angels that were pouring out the last of the the wrath of God during the tribulation comes to John. He's being used by God to to show John these things and he comes and says, "Come here, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb." You say, why is it described that way? Christ is not married to a city, is he? Ephesians says Christ is the head of the church, that he has chosen the church to present her holy and blameless, that he has... uh, Died for the church in order that he might purify the church. Is Christ married to a city? The answer is no. No. So why this language? Because the city itself is not the bride. The city itself is not the bride, but the city is known, listen, by its people. The saints... Are the bride. And therefore this city, this new Jerusalem is described here as the bride. Because the people of God dwell there. We dwell there. We are the bride of Christ. We are those whom Christ is sanctifying. And drawing to himself in order that we would be in Always holy, without blame. In other words, you cannot separate, this is what John is seeing, you cannot separate the people of God from this place of God. And so just like in chapter 17, if we go back there just for a moment, when Babylon was being described, one of the seven angels had the seven bulls, came and spoke with me, saying, this is in chapter 17, verse 1, here, I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality, and he carries John away in the spirit into the wilderness, and he sees this woman sitting on a beast full of blasphemous names, seven heads, and the woman is clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with all these precious stones and pearls and all these things, with a golden cup of abominations of unclean things of her immorality and upon her forehead a name is written what babylon the great the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth this woman and all associated with her are associated with babylon the name babylon is associated with those people who reject god so too the John is seeing that same language, and we hear the same kind of language here in chapter 21. One of the seven angels comes, calls John, and he carries him away in the spirit to see the wife of the Lamb. The Lamb, of course, is the Redeemer, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And the bride is all of those who have a relationship with Christ by faith. And the preeminence of that relationship here, as it is demonstrated, is demonstrated in the words, wife of the lamb. This is the preeminence of that relationship. Based upon the grounds of our redemption in Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, we, as his believers, as his people, we have a preeminent relationship with Jesus Christ. So, we are here described by this intimate word, wife. What could be more intimate than the term wife? John is carried away to see the city of our inhabitants described as the wife of the Lamb. Turn for a moment back to Luke chapter 13. I just want to get this clear in our minds. And show us this connection between the city and its people. In other words, you can't separate the city with the people who live there. And this whole idea of being that idea in Revelation chapter 21. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus Christ is weeping. He is saddened in his heart by the rejection of the Jewish people concerning him as their Messiah. And their rejection of that. And notice what he says about them in verse 31 and following. Luke chapter 13. Just at that same time, some Pharisees came up saying to him, Go away and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform curses, or perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Verse 34, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen her brood under her wings and you would not have it. I take us here because Jesus Christ here is is showing us this reality and this comparison and this, this connection between people and their dwelling place. And here Jesus Christ is speaking about the Jewish people, but he cries out saying, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, they are identified by the city. Jesus wasn't saying to the walls of the old city of Jerusalem at that time, Oh, you walls and you buildings and you structures. Oh, how I wanted you, but you rejected me. No, he is speaking of Jerusalem as a whole in light of the people who dwell there. The representation of them was a representation of the dwelling place. And Jesus was saying to the people, you have rejected me. So the city was representing in the words of Jesus Christ those who had rejected him. And back in Revelation, that's the very picture we are getting here in Revelation chapter 21, when in verse 9 it says, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and we are shown the city, the new Jerusalem. Jesus isn't married to an edifice. He isn't married or, or connected with some some. Edifice place, some building, he is connected with a people, and we are that people. So we're getting that same picture here in Revelation chapter twenty one and verse nine. This is a real city. It is the home of the bride of Christ. And the name Jerusalem links it with all the people of God. It's linked with the city for which Abraham looked in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10. The city which has foundations whose builder and maker are God. And so here beginning in verse 11. John begins to describe what is shown to him in terms that are familiar to us who live on this earth. Notice he's carried away, verse 10, in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. He's shown the dwelling place of the people of God. This is then, first, the external view of this city. The external view. And there are four aspects that I want to just highlight for us in this external view. The first is the overall appearance of... Our new dwelling place. The overall appearance. Then we'll look at the wall around this glorious city. And we'll see its dimensions and then its material. Its overall appearance, its wall, its dimensions, and its material. So first then, the overall appearance. Notice verse 11. I'll, I'll read from verse 10 and he carried me away in the spirit and the great and high to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God notice having the glory of God having the glory of God can I just remind us in our Bible reading in our Bible teaching in our Bible study don't don't read verses per se read sentences. You notice having the glory of God begins really with the thought in verse 10. That's where the the period happens after God. So so you can't just finish at... Coming down out of heaven from God and and as if you're starting a new thought in verse 11 with having the glory of God. You can't do that. That belongs with verse 10. And so we read verse 10 and the first part of verse 11 and we see this idea of the glory of God. The first thing we need to realize about our heavenly home is that the glory of God shines throughout this entire city. It comes down out of heaven having the glory of god listen that is no small or insignificant detail the glory of god is his shekinah glory the 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 glory of god that dwelt in the tabernacle as israel wandered through the desert it is Uh, The the same glory that was in the temple of Solomon, the the temple that Solomon built when God came and dwelt among his people Israel. It's the same glory that will shine throughout this new city. You say, boy, I wish I could have seen that when it was in the tabernacle. I wish I could have seen that when it was in the, the temple. Listen, you will see the glory of God. You don't have to wish you, you could have seen it. You will see it. It will be in the new city. It will fill the new city. It's the word uh, foster, P-H-O-S-T-E-R. It's like phosphorus, which is a really hot chemical that burns bright. But, but that word foster just means it is the, the source of light. The source of light. God is that source. And the glory of God, listen, is the sum total. When we think of the glory of God, we have to think about it this way. It is the, the source. God is the source of this light. And the, the glory of God is the sum total of His perfection and His character. The glory of God is the sum total of His perfection in and through His character. In Exodus chapter 33 in verses 17 and following moses said i, I want to see your glory he said that to god i, I want to see your glory god said you can't look upon my my glory and live you, you cannot look upon me and live but I- i'll hide you in the in this cleft of the rock I'll-, I'll guard you behind that and i'll let my my glory pass by the backside of my glory now let you see a, a part of that. And in Exodus 7, uh, 33, 17 and the following, what you read there is all the goodness of God, the very characteristics of God, the very character of God and His perfection is what passes by. So this city will be illumined by the very perfection and character of God. And so John says of this, notice verse 11, her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. I hope you notice the difficulty John's having in trying to explain what he's seeing. He's using terms that, that we can understand. Her, her brilliance is like a very costly stone, and yet he's trying to, 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 to use something to describe its brilliance that we might think is brilliant. The city is like a precious stone, a a very costly stone, like crystal clear jasper. When you see those words, it's not that that's what it is, but John is seeing and trying to explain it in terms that we can understand. Jasper is, is quartz crystal. Quartz crystal. You know what that is in our world? Jasper? All you ladies who who are married maybe some of you aren't take your left hand look at it because right there and near that little thing on your finger is quartz crystal not cubic zirconia. quartz crystal it's a diamond it's all a diamond is quartz crystal The less impurities and the more clear a diamond is, the more expensive that quartz crystal is in our world. I've had the opportunity in my life to stop, buy a shop, and spend some time considering the purchase of one of those quartz crystals. Some of you men have done the same thing. And I can attest, as you can, that the better they are, the more expensive they are, right? So think of the best diamond you have ever seen in your entire life. I've been in the British Museum. I've seen the Hope Diamond. Not all that impressive, really, frankly. But think of the best diamond you could ever think of in your entire life. And listen, it appears like a dirt clod compared to this. This is a city of brilliance. You know why when you go to the jewelry store to buy a diamond, the diamond seller takes out a black piece of felt and puts the diamond on that? Because that diamond looks really good against a black backdrop. Well, your diamonds look like the black backdrop compared to this. This city is a perfect gem that's exactly what John is intending to say to us by the phrase crystal clear jasper. He's saying it's flawless. It's absolutely flawless. One man put it this way as I was reading, quote, It's like a diamond, not with light shining it, but with light shining from it. It's it's like a diamond with light coming from the inside and refracting its rainbow of colors all over the new heavens and the new earth. So the the city is like a perfect, brilliant, flawless diamond shining the reflection, think about it, of God's glory in infinite light. That's the appearance. That's the appearance. A blazing display of beauty and perfection. I often think to myself, you know, in our fallen world, there's so much that we go, wow, that's so beautiful. You look at a flower and you go, wow, the beauty of a flower. There's so much in our world that's, that's beautiful. And get this, all of it is marred by sin. All of it is imperfect beauty. Can you imagine what perfect beauty will be like? John is trying to describe that. This is perfect beauty. A blazing display of perfect beauty. That's its appearance. And then he moves on and he starts to describe the wall. Notice in verses 12 to 14. It had a great and high wall. With 12 gates. And at the gates, twelve angels, and the names written on them, which are those of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There are three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. God loves the number twelve. This doesn't really seem that hard for us to understand, does it? I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of external explanation for us to get this. It has a wall around the city, and it's a big wall. John says it's a great and high wall. You know what that means in the original language? It's a great and high wall. That's what it means. And it has gates in the wall so that you can go in and and go out. And and it's perfectly symmetrical. There's three on each side. Not a whole lot of extra explanation we need for that. And there's an angel at every gate, it says here. You say, why is there an angel at every gate? Here's my answer to that. I don't know. I don't know. In ancient days, there was a reason for uh, the city gate. That was the place where communication took place. That was the place where businessmen met and commerce happened at the city gate. So possibly maybe these angels are passing on information to those who are coming in and going out. Uh, Maybe that's why they're doing it. Maybe they're just simply saying as you're leaving the city, hey, I hope you have a great day you come back how is the trip maybe that's what there's i don't know but it says there's angels at the gates and the gates are named the names of the 12 tribes of israel it says in verse 12 so think about it this city will be a constant reminder of god's new Jerusalem is is going to be a constant reminder of his relationship with Israel. The the gates have names. This is Reuben's gate. This is Jacob's gate. And every time you go in, every time you you go out, you're you're going to see one of the names of the tribes of Israel. A reminder to everybody of God's covenant with the Jews so here, John says, there's this beautiful, perfectly flawless city. And, and there's this massive wall. It, it has 12 gates in the wall. And this wall also has 12 foundation stones. Notice verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Some commentators believe. What John is seeing here when it says the foundation stones, what John is seeing when he, when he says that is, is a layer. As if under the city there's these 12 layers, all of them being foundational layers that undergird the city. Uh, that could be right. It could be right. But I lean in the direction here when it says that, that they are what they say they are. Not foundation layers, but foundation stones. And probably undergirding each gate since they are mentioned with the gates which are in the wall. So I tend to believe these are simply foundation stones. Like they would build any kind of building back in those ancient days. They would lay, like Christ is, the cornerstone. The stone on which everything else is set off of and plumbed to. These are foundation stones. These are, these are the first stones, right? Christ said to Peter, on this I will build my church. I don't think he was saying to, to Peter himself. I think he was saying to all of the apostles, including the, the words that Christ had taught them, on this I'm going to build my church. you are where it began. And so notice there is a link here then, I think, between Israel of the Old Testament and the church. Of the New Testament. There's the names of the tribes of Israel. Over the gates. And there are the names of the apostles. On the foundation stones. Undergirding the gates. On which it is built. So these 12 men. The apostles were the unique link. Between an earthly Israel. And the beginning of the church. they were the the remnant of a nation that through Christ the church began right the the job of Israel was to bring to believe in in the messiah and to bring that truth to the world to the nations and god used the apostles who were jews to do that because the nation of israel had rejected them so again i think this is just yet another uh Uh, confirmation to us to say that every saint, those who are from the church age and those who are outside of the church age or Old Testament and tribulation saints are all citizens of this city. They are new and the old together. So John sees its appearance as this perfect, flawless, beautiful diamond surrounded by this massive, gated wall, 12 gates undergirded by 12 foundation stones. You say, well, how big is this city? How big is it? It's a great question. John gets the answer to that. Here's its measurement. We've seen its appearance. We know its wall. Now let's look at its measurement. Verse 15, the one who spoke with me, had a gold measuring rod measuring the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as high as its width. And he measured the city with the rod 12,000 stadia or, or 1,500 miles. is its length, its width, and its height. And they're equal. He measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. So the first thing that we see is it has a massive wall because this is a massive city. This is a massive city. The angel that John is with now takes this golden measuring rod, a rod which is just a a tool for measurement in the ancient days, normally around 10 feet in length was the typical measuring rod. It was the, the ancient tape measure, if you will. And we are told here that this city is a perfect square. But actually, it's a perfect cube. It's a perfect cube. Its, it's length and its width and its height are equal. And in the ancient world, Uh, That was the shape of perfection, a cube. The actual measurement is incredible. It's 1,500 miles length, width, and height. Literal, 1,200 stadia, 1,200 furlongs. A furlong is about 600 feet. 12,000 furlongs comes out to be 1,500 miles. This is a massive city. Just for your own trivia, that's about how far it is from the tip of Florida to the tip of Maine. 1,500 miles. If that's not good enough for you and you want to get an ancient or a European kind of thought, it would be from Rome in the west to Jerusalem in the east and from the Baltic Sea in the north to the southern boundary of the Sahara Desert. That's the That's the size of this city. This is a massive city, and its height is the same. It's 1,500 miles high. And we'll be in this city, and apparently, apparently, remember everything's new, apparently we will be traveling throughout this city both vertically and horizontally. 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles this way. We'll be traveling in those ways. So the streets will not just be going uh, this way and this way as you drive through our towns and cities in this kind of a two-dimensional frame, but they'll also be going vertically. Sam I'm going to go over here to Peter's house. Okay, see you. So the city is 1,500 miles cubed. And its wall, verse 17 says, is 72 yards. That doesn't mean 72 yards high. That wouldn't make any sense. That wouldn't do any good. It's 1,500 miles high city. What good would a 72-yard high wall do? No, this is its thickness. Thickness. 72 yards thick or literally 216 feet or uh, 144 cubits. A cubit is the measurement from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. So you have about 18 inches on the average uh, for that. So 144 cubits is 216 feet or 72 yards. And so, just so we're not confused, someone will come up, well, yeah, but that's not really what it's saying because... I mean, this is angelic measurements. John says, oh, and by the way, angelic measurements are the same measurements as humans. That argument flies out the window because the angels measure things the same way we do. Do you find that interesting? An inch, yeah, this is the, the the amazing thing to me. We have a, 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 a an office in our government, a, a standard of weights and measures. The American government, right? You know how come you know an inch is about this far? Because we have a standard of weights and measures that keeps that accurately so that every tape measure you is measured to that standard. So that's an inch. That's human measurement. Guess what? There are angels that measure with that measurement. Why do they use our measurement? I'm sorry, God, we can't measure that yet. The humans haven't decided what an inch is. I don't know why that is, but apparently God says, listen, don't be so confused here. You can can rely on this. It is true. It's absolute. Their measurement is the same as yours. So just because it's the measurement of this angel with this golden rod, don't get confused about that. Don't try to spiritualize it and make all this different stuff. No, their measurement is just like your measurement. It's 72 yards thick. This is a great place. It's not like anything we have here. It's a beautiful place. It's a big place, big enough to house all those whom God has chosen to save. I, I read some things where guys, scientists have done calculations on the volume of that 1,500-mile cube and how many people you could fit into a 1,500-mile cube. And they, I mean, it's an astronomical number. I don't know. It's one of those numbers you, you think is a fake name. You know, like quintillion, bazillion, or whatever it is. It's crazy how they try to figure all this stuff out. But it's amazing to me that someone would even think that God would build a city. Oh, I can't fit that guy in there. I saved him, but I don't have a place for him. I mean, that's crazy. This is God we're talking about. God's not going to make mistakes like that so we have its appearance it's this beautiful place we have its its wall is massive let's look at this last feature this external view of our new home its material this is incredible verse 18 to 21 the material of the wall was jasper just like John seeing this very costly stone a stone of crystal clear jasper the 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 wall itself is jasper, and the city is pure gold like clear glass. So what John sees coming down from God, from what is the dwelling place of God even today, was this diamond-like edifice because its wall is, is jasper. It's like a diamond of the clearest kind, and the city itself is the purest of gold. The best gold we have on this earth is still opaque. Ladies, look at your ring, look at your necklaces, look at your watch, look at whatever piece of gold you have. It's beautiful, but you cannot see through it. You cannot look at it and go, yeah, I can see the other side of that because you can't see through it because it's full of impurities. And those impurities, as beautiful as that gold is even today, dull its potential. But not so in the city built by God. Gold is so pure that it's like clear glass. Not opaque. Completely transparent, without impurities, flawless. I... I, I don't even know what that's like. I know what glass is like, but I don't know what gold that's like. Clear glass is like. I, I, I can't even fathom that. And and its foundation only adds to its overall beauty. Notice, verse nineteen says the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. So it seems as almost if the foundation stones under the 12 gates as I take it are adorned each one of them with all of these stones that we're going to look at. They don't need a lot of explanation. So if these are singular stones then under each gate is is one of these stones that's adorned it seems right here in the words this foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone so so these seem to be covering all of them much like maybe the priest's uh, chest he had 12 beautiful stones in them representing obviously the tribes of israel but here you have 12 stones we don't know if they're representing that it doesn't tell us they're representing that some have speculated that it represents that i don't go there but but it seems that these foundation stones have all of these at least on it Now, if these are foundational layers, then on every side of the cube, these would shine out. I think they're stones. And notice the first one. The first foundation stone was jasper. We know what jasper is. It's that crystal clear uh, stone of the wall itself. It's this best diamond around kind of stone. So whether, whether you take the foundation stone as a layer and there's a layer of diamonds or whether you take the foundation stone as a singular and it's a singular kind of jasper stone in and of itself or whether it's a foundation stone and, and adorned on that stone is this jasper. Either way, it's still this remarkable, unfathomable kind of thing. The first is jasper, this best kind of diamond around. Then second, sapphire. Sapphire, of course, is brilliant blue. Probably my favorite of all the stones in the gem area, sapphire. Blue is my favorite color. Third, third, uh, Chalcedony. Chalcedony, by the way, this is the only mention of Chalcedony here in the Bible. It seems to be, at least when gemologists look at this, it seems to be a stone from from Chalcedon, which is in Turkey. And when that stone has been uh, brought up from the ground, that stone has a kind of a bluish green color to it. So you have this diamond-like jasper, this pure diamond. You have this uh, sapphire, brilliant blue sapphire shining forth, and then you have this bluish green color uh, there as well. Then fourth... Emerald, we know what emerald, bright green, bright green. Fifth, sardonyx. Sardonyx, uh, that's, that's an onyx uh, stone. An onyx is a type of, of material, and, and sardonyx is a red-layered kind of onyx. It has red and white mixed together. So you have this diamond, you have this blue, you have this bluish green, then you have the emerald bright green, and then following that you have this red and white kind of mixture going on. And then sixth, sardust. Most believe that sardust is this bright red color, almost like a ruby. Seventh, chrysolite, which is a yellowish gold kind of color. Beryl or beryl, uh, and beryl. If it's like uh, beryl today in the modern day, then it's yellow in color. Beryl is yellow, more of a bright kind of, uh, or a a yellow uh, without uh, this gold kind of mixture in it. Ninth, topaz. Topaz is a deep, bright yellow. So now you have this from, from the emerald, you have this red and white mixture going on, and this bright red, almost like a ruby, this yellowish gold color mixed uh in there with this yellow uh bereal taking taking its place and then this bright yellow going on and 10th 10th and verse 20 you have uh chrysoprasis chrysoprasis it's the only place again it's mentioned in the bible just like chalcedony and many believe it's a uh, uh Some kind of green. Why? Because the name itself means green as leek. Leek being a green vegetable. So it's green as leek. That's what the word means. So many believe that's what this color is, this greenish kind of uh, color like a leek, which would be more of a darker green. And then 11th, you have uh, jacinth or jacinth, which is an aquamarine or turquoise in color. And then 12th, as I told one of the wing girls this week who mentioned it to me, amethyst. They were telling me it's purple. I said, yeah, that's going to be one of the colors on the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. Purple, deep purple. So you have all this color going on. You have this diamond, purest diamond of ever, blue, bluish green, bright green, reddish white, bright red, gold, yellow, bright yellow, green, turquoise, and purple. Now, if those are all layers, that's an amazing thing. If they're all singular stones around the gates, that's amazing. And if they're stones decorated or adorned with all of those, that's even incredible. It's beyond comprehension. I can see you ladies now thinking about your next anniversary gift. Honey, get me a heaven ring. This is beyond our, anything we've, we know about and to top it all off if that wasn't enough each gate is a pearl each gate is a pearl so you have this wall of brilliant diamond like jasper surrounding a city that's so pure pure gold you could see through it and and in the wall of this is these These singular pearls, as it says, right? Each pearl, each gate is a singular pearl. That's why people call the pearly gates. So you have these massive pearls. Remember, the wall is 1,500 miles. These are massive gates, massive pearls. And under those gates, I believe these foundation stones adorned with all of this brilliant, brilliant color. Indescribable indescribable by the way just a bit of trivia for you pearls were the most valuable of all the precious stones stones in the roman world that's strange pearls say why why would it be so valuable well not not just because they were beautiful but because of the fact that in order to get a pearl the thing that produced the pearl had to die in order to receive the precious stone of the oyster. Maybe, maybe, and of course this is just sanctified speculation, maybe that's why God uses them as his gates. God created them, after all. Our redemption, folks, our redemption, Demanded the death of Christ. So every time we go in or out of the city. We're reminded of the old covenant God made with Israel. We're reminded of the apostles that undergird the gates. Which uh, we stand on their shoulders as part of the church. As well as we are reminded of the reality of the death of Christ for us. Maybe that's why. Then, John finishes this description, this external description by just saying, oh, and by the way, the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. (laughs) They'll be like the city of itself. They'll be pure transparent gold. And all of it, think about it, all of it, is reflecting the glory of God all the time. All of it is reflecting the very perfection and character of God in His glory all the time. So heaven, our future home, what will it be like? It's difficult for us to put it in words that can describe it accurately light of the gold diamond transparent city shining through the diamond walls the glory of god illuminating it all and shining through it all he is the source of all the light and through all of the colors of all the jewels that we saw all of that forms a scene that's incredible to us boggles our mind That's just the external view. That's just the outside. Next time we're going to get to see the inside. And what a great, beautiful description that we have of that as well. And how appropriate it will be that we'll have a communion to celebrate the glory of our great Savior who is the focal point of the inside of our new home. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we are certainly in awe of what is to come. How you have created such a beautiful home for us to well. Our words cannot really convey what we have seen. The pictures in our minds only cause us to wonder even more. You're such a great God. You are the only living God and you have such a grand plan for your people. And so we pray that you would help us through our view of what is to come, help us to not be tied to this world in any way. Help us to anticipate the the great glory to come as you bring us to this place that you have prepared for us. Lord, as we even think about the glories of heaven, we know there are some here who do not know the joy of this anticipation. And they do not know it because they are rejecting Jesus Christ. They may even be close to death. Even this day may be their day of their last breath. Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would cause them to repent. Cause them to believe that they might know you. That they might know the joy to come. Lord, grant them your mercy. And may they entrust themselves to the only Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen.